doing? You doing good? Everybody happy? Welcome to Refuel. My name's Charles. This is the band from right here at Crossroads. So come on, let's go ahead and stand up. Find about six people around you. Give them a big old high five and say, hey, just going to warn you, uh, I had a little coffee, but I'm going to sing really loud this morning. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Say hello. High five one another. Let's roll. Oh, yeah. Well, let's ask the Lord to move into this place today and let's worship him with all our hearts. Shout out to the Lord. Let's go in the house of the Lord. Our God is so 
right now, y'all. We need you singing real loud today. And I know it's a little cold outside, but we are here in the presence of the one who's given us hope. The hope that we share to our congregation and throughout the community. So come on, let's think about it, all right? stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty Oh, you 
Amen. Amen. Good morning, Refuel. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, guys, I want to just take two quick minutes and share a few things. One thing, my name is Luke McLean. I'm the pastor of ministry development here at Crossroads, and you probably know me by my emails that you got from me. <laughs> but, guys, we've been praying for you. The seat you're sitting on has been prayed for. Your names have been prayed for. Your churches have been prayed for because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in our city of Pittsburgh. What he's doing from the east, the west, the north, and the south, all over this city, God is changing hearts. We're seeing moms, young moms, single moms that are saying, I have hope because I found it in Jesus Christ. We're seeing men step up and lead their families all because of the power of Christ. When Jesus called Peter after he saw the miracle, when the fish filled up his boat and changed his life, he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. We have that opportunity with men and women in our city to help them understand they have a greater purpose in life. And so that's why we're here. So here's the thing. Guys and ladies, you have to allow yourself to be encouraged today because I think if you're like most pastors or most leaders, that you have to like, well, I'll, I'll allow myself to be encouraged. I'll allow myself to be refueled. Please let yourself be encouraged today. Let the word of the Lord wash over you. Let the words of these songs encourage your heart because it's not about us. It's about Christ. So, guys, we're going to talk in a little bit. We're going to hear from Pastor Nathan. We're going to hear from Pastor Jonathan this morning. And we're going to talk about lunch. We're going to hear about some Christian chicken later. And then we're going to have breakout sessions. The day is so before us. Would you guys pray with me as we continue on this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you for being here with us. We thank you for your presence. And we're just asking for more of it. Uh, to pray that just the, the things in our hearts, God, as we uh, helped our kids get on the bus, as we... Uh, Lord, checked our emails or fought against checking our emails. We thought about all the things that we have before us. It's still Tuesday, uh, God, and we, uh, we do thank you for the weather holding off. We thank you for uh, just, God, what you did with our brothers and sisters out in Wilkes-Barre, out in Central PA at Refuel Wilkes-Barre. God, we pray for the fruit that's going to come out of that. God, we know the harvest is so ripe here in Pittsburgh. I pray that your church here all across the city would be encouraged in the name of Jesus this morning, that we would see lives changed, hearts encouraged, people that are waiting to quit would not quit this morning, that we would keep going all in the name of Christ. It's only by your power and by your strength that we claim this morning. We ask it all in your son's name, Jesus, we all pray. Amen. Battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, can we make a holy ruckus this morning here at Refuel? <laughs> I like it. A holy ruckus. <laughs> Is that what you just said? I haven't heard that word in a long time. Ruckus. There's a ruckus among us. <laughs> I can't get this thing. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Um, so anyway, let's go ahead, John. But I, I want y'all to give a big thanks to John and Reese back there at the soundboard and running all of our lyrics for us because they're awesome. And also welcome this band because some of them took off work just to be here today. So come on, let's give them a big thank you for being a part of this. Now see if you see if you know this one. Who has the power to raise the dead? Yeah. And who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Yeah. Jesus, only Jesus. That's right. And who? The blind to see, who holds the keys that set us free, he paid it all to bring us peace.
who are absolutely hopeless. Can we praise the name of the Lord today? I'm going to give you one more song this morning, and I really want to hear you sing loudly on this one. Oh, praise the name, the name above all names. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. I cast my to Calvary where Jesus bled 
may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Charles and the Crossroads Band. Can we thank God for our worship team this morning? Huh? Wow. God is so good. I just want to welcome you. My name is Ken Barner. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Ministries. And I also get the privilege to, to direct a local center for LCN, Liberty Church Network. Liberty Church, Church Network, which Nathan Klein in just a moment is going to share more with you about throughout, because he is the president of the network, is going to speak in just a moment. But uh, we get together with pastors, and we're able to encourage pastors. And so a number of your pastors in here, we get together and we have lunch once a month. You can't have a pastor without lunch, so you just have to have that together, right? So we got pastors, and we get together, and we have lunch, we have prayer, and we're focusing on making disciples. So I'm thrilled this morning to be able to introduce to you the president of this network. We have our network here in Pittsburgh, but we're part of this national movement, and uh, it's a church planting movement. It's a movement that is uh, bringing people to Christ all over the place, and I'm thrilled to be able to be a part of that. And so I'm going to welcome this morning the pastor of Revo Church, who is also the president of the Liberty Church Network. Would you welcome... To with me, my friend Nathan Klein. <laughs> Look, I need a hype guy like that. Come on, man. Listen, it's been uh, about a year since I've seen a lot of you, and and when we were here last year, there was eight inches of snow on the ground. So from this North Carolina boy to you, thank you for not doing that again. Uh, it was awesome. But I, I tell people this story all the time. Like I was driving up the hill last year, eight inches of snow. I said, zero people are going to be here today. Like zero. Because in North Carolina, everything would have been shut down. And I'll tell people, I was like, you won't believe it. Like the place was packed in Pittsburgh with an H on the end, I've learned. Um, so H day. I learned about that yesterday. I'm becoming one of you. I'm one of the, one of the people here. Uh, so, man, it is great to see you again and to travel with our team. We got some of our team from Liberty University and Pastor Jonathan, of course, Charles and Troy Temple in the back. You're going to have an opportunity to hear from him a little bit later. Uh, we've got some local center leaders from around the country that are in the room with us. And uh, also we're streaming online. So everybody watching online today from LCN churches all over the country. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for crashing a party. There's one person in particular, though, that I am glad that I get to travel with anytime we travel. His name is, is Rob. He's our national director uh, for LCN. And Rob is a details guy. That's why I like to travel. Have we got any details people in here? Yeah, some of you didn't, didn't raise your hand because you're a planner and you did not plan to raise your hand. <laughs> and so you're like, no, 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 we're not ad-libbing here. I'm a planner. Rob is a planner. I mean, every single little detail of everything that we do, Rob has planned out. Uh, he has text threads that he's sending to different groups of people. And somebody asked last night, hey, what's the order that, that of, the, of the service tomorrow, of the conference? And Rob's like, oh, got it. And so he immediately copies, pastes, texts us everything that's happening, all the addresses. He'll send me a text. He said, hey, here's the flight that you need to book. Here's where we're going to stay. Uh, most importantly, here's where we're going to eat dinner when we get there. Like, you meet Rob, you realize he's a foodie. Uh, and, and so, like, I, I love that. He has, has every single detail set up and, and put together. And so I, I really appreciate that because I, I like eventually when, when somebody tells me, like, when I'm doing something, I just want to be able to come up to them and say, just tell me what to do. Right. I, j just tell me what to do. Tell me when to be there. Tell me what to wear, when to show up. For those of you that are married, you know, that's your wife. She told you that on your wedding day. That was your only responsibility on your wedding day. Like, just tell me where to be, what time to be there, what to wear. And I'll, I'll, I'll take it from there. I, I love it. Just be able to ask somebody like, just tell me what what to do. 
And as a pastor over this past season, that's a question that I have asked God more often than you would think. All right, God, just tell me what to do. I don't know. Just just tell me what to do. I've ne- never, never been at this point in season of my ministry, never been at this point in time in culture before. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm trying to serve well. Like, God, just, just tell me what to do. And I think the longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize how important that heart posture and, and that, that simple question really is. And it makes me think of maybe one of the most popular, most well-known times that, that someone asked Jesus that when they just simply posed the question, like, just, just tell me what to do. And it's the text that I want to share with you this morning out of John chapter 2. It's Jesus' very first miracle where Jesus turns the water into wine. Or, or if you're a Baptist like I am, where Jesus turns the water into Welch's grape juice. Very first, very first miracle in John chapter 2, it says this, on, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now listen to what Jesus says. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Let me highlight the first difference between me and Jesus uh, already. Um, wedding feast was seven days long in Jewish culture, so there was a miscalculation. They didn't have enough food and drink for this, for this party. And Jesus looks at his mom and says, uh, woman. Now, if I was the son of God and my mom got that response from me, I'll tell you what the difference between Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Angela, the mother of Nathan, would have done my mom, if I'd have said, woman, don't bother me with that, now is not my time, my mom would have looked up in heaven and said, Father God, you better come down here and get your boy. Because <laughs> I'm about to kill him and you're going to have to raise him twice. Whatever you want to do, raise him from the dead twice. I don't, I don't know, but you better come down here and get your son. Now, now we know that that, that was a very affectionate term. It was a respectful term. It was, it was, it would be like us saying ma'am. So obviously Jesus was not disrespecting his, his mother, but, but Mary put him on the spot. And, and, and then what Mary says next in verse five is, is such a good verse. It is so good. It's so clear. It's, it's short. It's concise. It's straight to the point. In verse five, it says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And you see that guy up there? His name's Jesus. That's my son. Do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. That might be the most simplistic mode and method of discipleship that I've ever heard. You want to make a disciple? How do you do it? Just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Whatever he says, you say. Whatever he does, you do. However he acts, whatever his attitude, whatever his posture is, however he seeks the Father, however he treats people, like that's what you need that's what you need to do. So Mary looks at these servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Next verse, nearly, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from, from 20 to 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told him, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Big phrase here, they did so. Mary said, listen to Jesus and do what he says. They listened to Jesus and they did exactly what he said. 
Now, now, if you do the math, these are like six big jars. Um, it's, it's a, if, if these guys were anything like me, I, I don't know why I do this, but it's a weekly test that I put myself through to uh, test my manhood. But when my wife comes home from the grocery store, I have this rule. There is only one trip from the car to my house. You do not break it up. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a self-esteem thing. Like, I don't want my neighbors to see me making multiple trips from the car to the driveway. So I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Now, when she buys, uh, like, a 48-pack of toilet paper, like, that's throwing a wrench in it. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to get that in there and the bags. But I'm, I'm piling them up on my forearms, using both hands. Like, just that, that's just me. I, I think about that when, when, when these servants were like, all right, well, we're going to get it all in one trip. We've got to figure it out right we're going to get all these six jugs and fill them up with 20 to 30 gallons of water apiece. And we've got to figure out how to do what Jesus said to do. Here's what I know as pastors in the room, as leaders, as disciple makers. A lot of what you do goes unnoticed. I get it. A lot of what you do is behind the scenes. A lot of what you do to serve in your local church setting does not get a pat on the back, uh, does not get any kind of fanfare. And if you're discouraged a little bit about that, about, about everything that, that we do to, to serve Jesus that goes unnoticed, I just want you to remember, like, Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Behind the scenes, providing, serving these servants, not up on stage, but, but are selflessly serving, drawing water out of the bag. That's us. The longer I'm in ministry, the more I realize, man, what, what ministry is is not what happens in a stage. It's what happens behind the stage. It, when no one else is watching, when no one else sees, not, not, not a bunch of publicity and fanfare. And, I, and I'm reminded that as followers of Jesus, we preach and worship the greatest servant of all time. So that's going to be us. We're going to serve because we're followers of Jesus. These people behind the scenes are, 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 are serving. I, I think sometimes in ministry we can get confused with, with ministry being what happens on stage. Uh, Jesus didn't talk about that. Jesus says the real ministry is what happens behind the scenes. And so big shout out to so many servants in here. So many people that are giving and you, you're never going to preach a sermon. You're never going to sing a, a song maybe on the worship team. But, but you have a part in what God is doing to tell a story to, to redeem the world in this area. So to, to all of the water carriers in here, thank you. To all of the ones doing whatever it takes so that people that are far from God can come into a relationship with him through his son Jesus and make disciples of all nations, thank you. I know, it, I know it looks great on the stage here, but without so many people loving and caring and serving and pouring out their lives, I wouldn't be able to do what so many of the, the visible positions do. In, in verse 9, here's how the story ends. And, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he received his glory. And his disciples believed in him. 
Jesus makes, makes a comment here and the, the bridegroom says, you know, in a traditional wedding, everyone brings out the, the, the finest foods and the finest drinks first. And then once everybody's had their fill, then they, they back it up with the cheap stuff, right? No, nobody cares anymore. Like you've already, you've already had your toast with the champagne when the bride and groom came in the door. And, and this man notices something different. He said, I've noticed you saved the best until last that's what happens when Jesus gets in the mix. Whatever you have might be good. You put Jesus in the middle of it, and it becomes the best that anybody's ever seen. You might have a good marriage. Put Jesus in the middle of it, and it'll be a great marriage. You might have a, a, a good family, a good group of kids. Put Jesus in the middle of it, and watch how he takes something that's natural and makes it supernatural. Watch how he takes something good and makes it the best. In your life. That's what happens when Jesus shows up. That's what happens when you put Jesus in the middle of it. It's surprising to me that this was Jesus' very first miracle. Now, if I were choosing, I would have done something a little more flashy. Maybe raise somebody from the dead. Uh, maybe do the trick for the 5,000 people eating. I would have done that one. That one's pretty cool. But, but Jesus chose something like turning water into wine. And the most interesting part about it to me is only a handful of people knew that he did it. His mom, his disciples, and a couple of guys that worked for the catering company. That's it. And in those humble beginnings, God began to orchestrate his plan to redeem the world, a plan that we're in the middle of right now and get to be a part of. So I want to I give you four things. If, if you're taking notes, jot these down. God doesn't love you more if you take notes. I do. I will love you more. If you're taking notes, um, four things from this text that I really want to challenge you with in this season of ministry that we're in as servants and, and followers of Jesus. The first thing is this. We see it right at the beginning of the story. Here it is. Ready? We need Jesus. We need Jesus. When Mary had a problem, she didn't go to the bride. She didn't go to the groom. She didn't go to the caterer. She went to Jesus. She didn't go anywhere else. She came stretching. Hey, there's something on my heart. There's something on my mind. There's something that I need. Where is Jesus? Find him. Hey, pastor, leader, friend, we need Jesus. That's what we need. We don't need a strategy. We don't need to read another business book. We don't need to copy and paste a model that another church is doing. If you want to see something happen in your church, we need Jesus. We need to preach Jesus we need to teach Jesus. We need to sing about Jesus. We need to proclaim Jesus. We need to repent of our sin and turn towards Jesus. We need to point people towards Jesus, worship Jesus. Jesus, that's it. That's what we need. When this situation had to change, Mary knew exactly who she was going to. If I get Jesus in the mix, everything changes. Everything's, we need Jesus. Somebody go find him. The second thing is, is this. She says right there in, in verse 5, I love this. We have to remember this as pastors. Not only do we need Jesus, but we have a, a mission. We do. We, we have a mission. Like, thank goodness, as followers of Jesus and leaders and pastors, we don't have to come up with our own mission. We don't have to sit there and be like, what am I going to do with my life? What should my church be all about? We know it. Mary says it like this. Look at Jesus and do whatever he tells you to do. Well, here's what Jesus has told us to do. Go and make disciples. That's our mission. Like, if, if that's not what our churches are doing, then we're not on Jesus' mission. 
We're not being like Mary and say, look at Jesus and do, do whatever he tells you to do. Follow that advice. We need to follow that advice. When Mary says, find Jesus and do me a favor, go and do whatever he tells you to do. And when Jesus left off with our mission, he said, I want you to go, go and make disciples. God's plan and God's mission is what he wants us to be on. Now, now here's the good news. Um, if you're looking for funding for God's mission, he'll provide it. If you're looking for power for God's mission, he's got it. If you're looking for the people that God is going to surround you with to accomplish the mission that he's called you to, he'll give it to you. God will give you everything you need to accomplish the mission that he's called you to do. You know what God's not on the hook for? Your mission. If your church is not going to be about making disciples, God will be like, good luck. (laughs) Good luck finding that. Good luck finding people to, to come alongside you and support you. Good luck seeing life change through Jesus. You want to know the scary part, though? There are people in in our world that have enough charisma to actually succeed at a mission that God has not called them to. And that's why sometimes you'll see churches that are full of people and totally void of the presence of God. I don't want to be successful at something that Jesus hasn't called me to do. I want to make disciples. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. That's the mission that he has entrusted us with. All right, so that's one and two, right? Everybody can get behind those. We need Jesus. Yes. We have a mission. Yes, absolutely. You ready for number three? It's going to be hard. Ministry is not easy. If you've been in ministry for longer than five minutes, like you're, you're raising your hand. Yes, Lord. I like this guy. Ministry is, is hard. Did you catch what the servants had to do? The servants did, did, did not just have to pick up like one, one bottle or, or one jug. The scriptures say that there were six jugs, six jars, holding about 30 gallons apiece. Do the math. That's roughly between 150 and 180 pounds of liquid in each jar, not counting how much the stone jar was. I'm not talking about like carrying a couple of five-gallon jugs in your hand. When Jesus gave them an invitation and an opportunity, it was hard. It was difficult. And, and they didn't just have to run and go get a hose and turn the hose on and fill it up. No, they had to take the jars and walk down to the well. And the well, you get water out of a well one bucket at a time. And so it was tedious. It was labor intensive. It took their time. It took some strategizing on their part. It's not going to be easy. The mission that God calls us to is not easy. But I can promise you this. It'll be worth it. It's never easy, but it's good. It wasn't easy to go get the water, but it was good when Jesus performed the miracle and it blessed everybody around. I think sometimes man, I, I, I need a reminder. I'm looking for the easy way in life and in ministry, and I need to be reminded that Jesus never promised us that. We worship a Savior that was crucified on a cross. Not easy. I have a local center, a group of pastors that meet in Winston-Salem every month and, and have one, one guy that has a, a Spanish church in Winston-Salem. And, and he's not he's not bivocational because the church doesn't pay him. So, like, he, he has a, a, a job that he works 40, 50, 60 hours a week and then preaches and pastors these people on the nights and weekends. And part of what we do every every gathering is we, we spend time praying for each other. And, and I tell you what, when I hear Pastor Salinas pray... It's like a kick in the gut for me. Because Pastor Salinas starts to pray 
And the only thing that can come out of his mouth is thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then he finally, finally gets to what he's saying thank you for. He says, thank you, Lord, for letting me be a pastor. And, and I'm, I'm over here like, God, I'm tired of carrying these water bottles. God, this is hard. And Pastor Selena, he's just happy to be in the room. He's just like, thank you, Lord, that after I work 60 hours a week, then I get to go to the church and do what I really want to do in my life. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And too often, man, we can get down on how hard it is and forget about the privilege and the honor it is to serve Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting me carry these water jugs. Thank you for letting me walk down to the well and do the grunt work that nobody's ever going to see. It's worth it. It's worth it. We have a a mission. It's going to be hard. We need Jesus to accomplish it. But what we see here in this text is this. Here's what God is requesting and requiring of you and I as ministers of the gospel. It's simple obedience. When, When Jesus said, fill all these jars up with water and bring them back up here, the Bible says, and they did it. And they went. They listened to God and did what he says. That's, that's what God's looking for from you. Simple obedience. Will you just do what I ask you to do? I'll take care of all the rest. I'll produce the results. You don't have to. You just do what I tell you to do. You just stay on mission. You just stay connected to Jesus. You just do whatever God tells you to do. All of this hinges on our response to God's invitation. God gave these servants an invitation. You want to be a part of the miracle? I I love that because everybody at the wedding got to experience the blessing, but only the servants got to see the miracle. Your obedience brings you into God's plan to redeem the world. And everybody else sitting in your churches might be a part of the blessing, But as pastors and leaders and disciple makers and servants in the ministry, we get to be a part of the miracle. We get to see what God is doing and how he blesses and draws people towards himself. We get to be used. We get to see it and others get to benefit from it. Everyone in attendance was blessed by it, but only the servants got to experience the miracle. I'm encouraged by this because it's obvious that God has a plan to redeem the world. The best part is he wants you to be a part of it. When Mary came up to Jesus and said they ran out of wine, you know what Jesus could have done? He could have snapped his fingers and every cup on every table would have been filled to the max. But he didn't. He said, oh, we got a problem? And he turned to the servants and said, will you help me? Will you help me? You want to be a part of it? Hey, you want to see something? You want to be on the inside? It's the same invitation and opportunity that you and I have today. I believe that God is looking for some men and women to say, you want to be a part of it? Hey, hey, you want to rely on Jesus? You want to listen to him and do what he says? You want to get on mission with me? You want to do something hard that's going to bless the masses and, and, and allow you to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? Then welcome to the team. Welcome to the mission of going and make disciples. God allows his servants to be a part of the miracle. His story to change this area includes you. It includes pastors all over the country that are working together to embrace this idea to get people that are far from God into a relationship with Jesus by making disciples of all nations. That's our heartbeat. 
that that's our mission. And I'm so thankful that I get to partner with so many great pastors and churches and leaders in a, in a team that we have and do what God has called us to do. I hope those four things stir something up in you today. I hope that the rest of the day you'll just begin to say, all right, God, what do you want me to do? I'm here, Lord. What, what, what do you want me to do? What's my next step? And that God would, would give you the boldness and the conviction to take that next step today so that all of us can be a part of the miracle that God is performing here. Can I pray for you? God, what a story. An, an example of, of servitude. An, an example of, of, of how we can give you just our regular natural and you can turn it into something supernatural. God, it's unbelievable that we have an invitation from you right now to be a part of your story to redeem the world. That you would, you would invite us to be a part of it so that we could experience your power and be a part of the Great Commission. The, 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 the mission that's been here for thousands of years and that will, that will continue until all have had a chance to hear. God, so today with this opportunity, I pray we would steward it well. Would you speak to the hearts of your servants right now, these servants, so many that are serving behind the scenes, that are just simply showing up each and every day, wherever they live, work, study, play, eat and shop, and just saying, all right, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Simple obedience is what we offer you today, God. I pray that you would honor it and multiply it for your name's sake. I ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met somebody uh, that was an encouragement to you? Ever met somebody that could encourage you but also challenge you at the same time? Uh, for me, a person in, in my life and for so many pastors across our network, uh, it's Pastor Jonathan Falwell. Every time I hear him speak, uh, it's, it's conviction, it's clear, it's compelling, but he, but he leads us to a place where he's like, all right, now what are we going to do about it? How are we going to say yes to Jesus and be obedient to what he's got it called us to do? He's got a message prepared for you today that I know is going to challenge you and encourage you at the same time. So would you help me welcome uh, Pastor Jonathan Falwell? Well, it's great to be here. And Ken, thank you for opening your church again for us here. Again, I'm not sure who plans coming to Pittsburgh in January. I haven't figured that one out. But uh, we are honored to be here, love being here at this great church with all of these great individuals. And hearing from Nathan, did Nathan bless you this morning? Come on, did he bless you this morning? You know, you can tell Nathan's a real pastor because when he was talking just a minute ago in the introduction, which, by the way, was all fluff, like I, I get it. But when he was in the introduction just a moment ago, he said, man, he's clear and he's compelling. and he's a, he, he actually made it all in C's, right? He was doing a... A, an outline, a sermon outline in his introduction, so you you know that he's like doing all the right things. He learned that in seminary, but uh, it is great to be with you. But he talked a lot today about God's man and God's woman in ministry, and man, what an encouragement that was. I want to talk about God's work, but before we kind of jump into that, I want to ask a question like the people in the room here. Like how many ministers do we have in the room today? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand really high. Awesome. Cool. Put your hands down. How many Christians do we have in the room today? Raise your hand really high. 
Okay, cool. Put your hands down. Now, the Bible says, and Jesus spoke this very clearly in Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Acts chapter 1. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He was not talking to pastors. He was talking to Christians, right? So in other words, he put all of us on the mission. So that means all of us are ministers. So how many ministers do we have in the room today? Raise your hand really high, really high. Okay, put your hands down. How, who did not raise their hand? Because we got to deal with you. Like right now, the altar's open. Come down. Nathan will be standing here. Like we're all ministers, right? Whether we're a pastor that serves like a full-time in a full-time position or whether we are, you know, youth pastor, worship pastor, whether we are children's ministry, whether we're volunteering, whether we're lay ministry, whether we just happen to show up and we're brand new in the room trying to figure out like where to get involved and to serve. All of us are ministers. And we need to recognize that all of us have a role to play and all of us have an important part in this journey, in this mission, in this ministry to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, is the only hope that we have for the world. It's the only hope that we have in the culture in which we live because the culture has gone crazy. Anybody been paying attention? Like the world has gone mad. It's gone nuts. It's gone crazy. And God, for whatever reason, and again, I don't understand it. In fact, if God asked my opinion, I'd say, God, that's not a really good plan to choose a bunch of people like me to go out and to reach this world with the gospel. It doesn't make sense at all. But for some reason, he chose us. And so recognizing that and understanding that, what I want to do is kind of take us to an Old Testament passage. Uh, Nathan was in John chapter 2. I want to take you from the New Testament back into the Old Testament and spend a little bit of time looking at a guy who probably experienced a lot of what we are experiencing today in ministry. And so I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, before we kind of get into that passage, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read that in just a moment. But to set the stage, kind of the context of what this passage is all about, I think most of you know the story. So Nehemiah is a guy who was brokenhearted over the destruction of Jerusalem. He had heard that the walls had all been destroyed, that the walls were all crumbling down and the city was unprotected. And so he prayed and he fasted, Nehemiah chapter 1, about going and asking the king, can I go back and I, can I build the walls? Can I go back and rebuild this city that is so dear and so near, so important to me? Can I go back and do that? And of course, we know the story that the king let him do that. And he traveled back there to Jerusalem. He was brokenhearted by what he saw. And he began to do the work. And we know like the incredible things that he did and and with the speed in which he did it. But there's a little passage in Nehemiah chapter 4 that I I think is kind of a parallel, if you will, of what we're going through in today's world. In today's church and the experience of what we're kind of walking through and and dealing with in ministry. And so that's what I want to kind of focus on a little bit today. And so I want to read this passage beginning again, Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. It says Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan, a Samarian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. And then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. 
And at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. And they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall all by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. And I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. And then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Now, I want to stop there, pause there, because what I want to help us to understand and recognize, again, just a a little bit more context of what's happening. So Nehemiah now is back in Jerusalem and the work has started. And the walls are starting to be rebuilt. He had encouraged and, and challenged his people to get involved. Like he had, like, you know, Nathan, he got up and, and he, he encouraged all of the people there. Man, it's time to go to work. And I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult. But, man, let's, let's do it. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And they started doing the work. And they started building the wall. And they got to a position where when the walls were starting to be rebuilt, that the opposition came and the enemies were mad and they wanted to stop Nehemiah and the rest of the people of Jerusalem. And yet they kept on working. They got it up to half of its height. Now we know if you go over to Nehemiah chapter 6, they, they built the entire wall in 52 days, which is a pretty remarkable feat. They didn't have, you know, construction equipment. They didn't have, you know, all these different things that, that we today are blessed with in, in construction. Like they were doing it all like with their hands. And they got all this work done in a short period of time, in a short amount of time. But but, but obviously the opposition came and the challenges were getting greater and greater and greater. And the people were getting frustrated and discouraged more and more and more. And doesn't that sound like church work? Like, like doesn't that sound like exactly what we face every single day? And it's a cycle. It's not like happening one time. It's like something that happens over and over again. I've been in ministry now for about 30 years. And, and what I know is like, like every year it seems like we go through these seasons where people are motivated, they're encouraged, they're excited. Man, let's go. Let's reach this town for Christ. Let's reach our community for Christ. Man, I want to reach my neighbors for Christ. I want to reach my family for Christ. And then we start doing the work and then the opposition comes and then people get frustrated, they get discouraged. And then we sit back and we wonder like, what are we going to do now? And so with this in mind, with this story of Nehemiah and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in mind, let's kind of walk through, if we could, just for a moment, like and kind of look at the parallels and like, see, what do we what do we do about it? Like, what did Nehemiah do and what do then we need to do to make sure that we are accomplishing what we need to accomplish in the midst of in the face of the challenge that we face so often? Now, we see very clearly. When Nehemiah was was starting the work and they were getting things done right there in verse one, it says the Sanballat was furious. He was very angry in verse one when we learned that he were when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall and he flew into a rage. And then here's what he said. He said this. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're doing? 
Do they think that they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Here's what I want to tell you. When you are doing the ministry of God, count on opposition. Opposition is guaranteed. It is absolute. It is going to come. Every church and every community are full of people like Sanballat and Tobiah. And when you begin to do the work that God has called you to do, they're going to be angry. They're going to be furious. And and if we kind of, you know, kind of put new words into this passage in Nehemiah chapter four, verses one and two, we would hear things like this. What does this group of poor, feeble little Christians think that they're going to do? Do they really think that they can go out and reach this community with all the troubles that are here and all the problems and with the people that they have in their church? Do they really think that they can pull that off? I don't know about you, but man, I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time in ministry of people mocking the church, the body of Jesus Christ. Like how in the world do they think they're going to make a difference and make an impact? In fact, I would tell you this. If you are not facing the sand ballots in your community, if you're not hearing the opposition in your community, I would question whether your church is actually on mission. I would question whether or not your church is actually doing what it is supposed to do. Because here's what I know. If you do not want to be bothered by the culture, if you do not want to be bothered by the people of your community who don't like this idea of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what you do. Focus more on your potluck dinners than evangelism. Focus more on the color of the carpet in your sanctuary than you are reaching the people who are lost and desperate. Like, like figure out better ways to have a, a better Awana circle in your church or, or how to have a better playground outside for the children or figure out ways to make sure that everybody in the room is happy or to make sure that, you know, that little old lady who's been coming to your church for 50 years and, and she sits in the exact same, I'm not pointing at anybody independent right here. Like I'm pointing back and I realize there is a 50 year old, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about you. Uh, they, they said the same exact spot every single week and all of a sudden somebody came in and stepped in and sat in their seat and like every, you know, the, the world stopped in that moment. Like worry more about that than reaching the people in your community who are desperate, who are broken, whose families are being destroyed by drugs and alcohol, whose families are sitting there wondering if they're going to even be able to make it through the day Worry more about making sure that the people in the room are happy than reaching the people in the world who are lost. And here's what I can guarantee you. You will not face opposition. You will not face the attacks. So if you want to be happy in ministry, if you want to make sure that in ministry you're not being attacked and there's no opposition, hey, I just gave you the, the formula. Like you can come to this conference. We could have called this conference today, How to Have a Church That Never Faces Any Opposition. There it is. I just gave it to you. But if you're going to be a church that's doing what Jesus has called you to do, count on the opposition, count on the attacks, because they're going to come. Because the minute that you begin to stand up and say that the Bible is the word of God, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is inspired. Every word that is found within the pages of that book come directly from the heart of God to the heart of man to know how to live and to know how to act and to know who to turn to. The minute you begin preaching the word of God, opposition will come. The moment that you stand up and talk about Jesus that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. That he is the one and the only one that can save you. That he is the one that God sent into this world to save sinners from their sin. And that he, through believing, and that he died, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, is the only way to heaven. Start preaching that message, and the opposition is going to come. And the sand ballots in your community, what do these stinking little Christians think they're going to do? 
Why do they think they can come here with their feeble little attempts and their, their, their crazy little words and they think they can change this culture and change this city and change this community and change this neighborhood? The opposition will come and I would say to you, so what? Because we are called to preach the gospel. We are called to be offensive. And I know that sounds weird, but that's exactly what we're called to do. Because when you preach that Jesus is the only way, what you're really saying is, hey, you can't get to heaven through Buddha. And you can't get to heaven through Muhammad. And you can't get to heaven through this, you know, this denomination or or can't get to heaven through this religion. You can't get to heaven by doing this. You can't get to heaven by being good. You can't get to heaven by being smart. You can't get to heaven by being rich. You can't get to heaven by giving a lot of money to the church. We still want you to give, but you're not getting to heaven like that is clear that when you make those kind of comments and make those kind of statements, like it's offensive. And so what? Because God has called us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And it's the only hope that we have. And so we've got to preach it. And that's what Nehemiah was facing here in this situation. Like, man, he was sitting there broken over the destruction in his community. He was broken over the walls that had been torn down. He was broken over the heartache and the heartbreak that was everywhere. And he wanted to do something about it. And he wanted to fix it. And he wanted to change it. And he wanted to rebuild so that there was hope and that there was life. And and the world came after him. And the world was angry. But what he learned, not only is the opposition guaranteed, what he also recognized is that the frustration within is guaranteed. You look back in this passage. And it says in verse 10, and then the, the people of Judah began to complain. They said the workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build this wall by ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Have you in ministry ever heard those kinds of words from the people that you minister to? Man, we're tired. Man, we've been doing this so long. Man, I don't know if we can keep doing it. I don't know if we can do this all by ourselves. Like, I don't know if we can actually reach our community for Christ. Man, I don't know if I can, you know, tell my neighbor about Jesus. Because what is he going to think? And, and are they going to make fun of me? They're going to mock me. Man, I can't tell my coworker about Christ. Because, man, like, seriously, like, what are they going to say? Are they going to make fun of me for, for believing this? Like, like, I don't know that I can do this. I'm tired. And there's so much work to be done. And there's so much rubble to be moved. I don't think we can do it all by ourselves. You see... Nehemiah was facing the opposition from the outside, but now he's facing the opposition from the inside. And I would submit to you today, again, I've been in ministry about 30 years, senior pastor now for about 16. And here's what I know. Like a lot of times, like there's opposition outside for sure. But man, I've seen a lot of opposition inside. A lot of people inside who, who challenge you in your call to ministry. They challenge you in trying to get them to go and do the work of the gospel. They, they challenge you, and, and the problems seem to be overwhelming, and it seems to be something that, that every single day you're wondering, like, what in the world is going on? Why are, they, why are they fighting against me? Why is this problem? Why is this pain? Why is this happening? And if you're in ministry, and you've never sat back and you ask God, why is this happening in ministry? You've probably not been in ministry very long, because all of us have been there. All of us have been through that season, that situation. Basically, what they're saying is, man, there's no hope. And that's really what the people of Israel and Jerusalem were saying at that time. Like, there's no hope. And we can't build these walls. Now, remember, the passage told us here that when they were frustrated and they were discouraged a couple of verses back, it says that they had already built the walls about halfway. 
Now, we know, again, that in chapter 6, it tells us that they rebuilt the entire walls in 52 days, which is like, uh, you know, that's supernatural. That's superhuman. That, that doesn't make sense that you can do something like that. Have you seen road construction around here that's taken about 12 years? You know, I mean, you know, it seems like they're always working and working and working and working and it never is completed. Like they built the walls. And I'm not talking about like a, a little wall, like a little landscaping wall out in your garden. I mean, we're talking about walls that are like 30 and 40 feet tall. And they did it all in 52 days. So we know that if they did it all in 52 days, that, that, that they did half the walls that were halfway up. They did that, you know, in at least 26 days or less. Because it took them a while to get started to figure out what they were doing. Like they already had seen incredible success, but now they're frustrated and they're complaining and they're tired and they say, we can't do the work. Man, in our churches, we've seen that where we've seen God really doing some big things. Ken, you've seen some incredible ministry right here in this church. You've seen God do some amazing things and, and people are watching people getting saved and watching people's lives being changed. And even in the midst of seeing God move and in the midst of seeing God do incredible things that don't make sense, they still sit back and say, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if we can reach this community. I don't know if we can actually do all the work. Like when you get up and challenge, man, we want to reach our community for Christ. I don't know if we can do that. Man, there's just so much work to be done. There's so much rubble everywhere. I don't know if it's possible. They were disheartened and they were frustrated and they were discouraged and that's a picture of the body of Christ in 2023. But what we see here is that Nehemiah's response was something that I think was needed then and is certainly needed now. And it's a response that kind of that, that, that speaks truth into a situation that, to be quite honest with you, it's really the only answer that he had. And what was that answer? What was that response? You go down to verse 14. And in verse 14, he, he simply said this, then as I looked over the situation, now what's the situation? Opposition from outside. The enemy said, hey, we're going to go down and we're going to kill them all. The opposition was coming, man. The, the, the walls were closing in. It was coming from every direction. The walls were closing in. There was opposition from the outside. There was opposition from the inside. The people were frustrated and discouraged and disheartened. We can't do the work. There's too much work to be done. There's too much rubble. It can't happen. We can't do this all by ourselves. So the opposition from outside, opposition from inside. And so he looked over the situation. Verse 14 says, and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. And I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Guys, let me just tell you something. In the culture in which we live, which has gone mad, we've already established that. In the times in which we live, which are like totally maddening on one stage and on the other set, like, like don't even make sense the things that are happening in our culture. Like, like in a time and a place and a season that we're in today that, that, that just defies common sense. The one thing that the church needs to do is to remember that our great God, he is great and he is glorious. And the same God that allowed them to rebuild the walls in 52 days, who, who gave them superhuman strength. And let me make this clear. I firmly believe that if God had not been in it, if God had not done a superhuman work in Nehemiah, in his time, in his day, they would not have rebuilt the walls in 52 days. It would not have happened. 
So I believe it was a supernatural. Nathan was talking about miracles. I believe that was a miracle of God that they were able to rebuild those walls in 52 days. If God had not been in it, it would not have happened. They recognized the greatness of God and the glory of God. And I would tell you today that the same God that did that is the same God that is working in your church. He is the same God that today is alive and he is active and he is present and he is moving and he is using you and he is sending you and he is working through you and he's working through your people and he's working through your church. And for whatever reason, it does not make sense. God, that God, that great and that glorious God, he has chosen us. What a gift. What an amazing thing. And so with that... Let me just give you quickly, if I could, again, I'm kind of following along with Nathan's path here. Like, give me four quick things, right? So I want to give you four quick things. We're pastors. Like, everything's got to be four quick things, right? If we ever give you three quick things, we have not done our job. There's four quick things that I want to give you here today that we need to recognize in ministry. Number one, building your church is like building the wall. And the stories of Jerusalem, and we read about in Nehemiah when he rebuilt the wall, like building your church is just like building the wall. You see, we're, we're focused on building walls for the flock, the people who are part of our, our, our ministry, part of our churches. Like we're, we're building the walls of protection. We're building the walls of, of growth and the walls of discipleship. And that's what we're talking about even in this day, like of making sure that tomorrow we're closer to God than we were yesterday and that we're encouraging one another and coming alongside one another. Pastors, like we're gathering here from different churches and we're, we're building walls in this room today for us to continue to grow in our faith and grow in our, our service and grow, grow in our leadership. Like we're building walls for the flock. We're building walls for the lost. Like we're building walls of protection for the people outside the church to see and to see this this standard that is sitting up on a hill and literally can. This church is sitting up on a hill and, and they're seeing the walls that are there. Recognize that's a place of safety that the community sees it. But we're building walls for the lost. We're building walls for God. But like we're building these walls to, to honor the power and the presence of God in our communities to, to say like, like this is what we will stand on. And when the tough times come, we will not be washed away. We're building walls in everything that we do. And here's what you need to understand. And the world hates it when we're building walls. I don't know if you saw in the news just a couple of days ago. Up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the Mall of America, largest mall in America. A uh, guy walks into the mall. He's wearing a yellow T-shirt. And on the front of the T-shirt, it said, Jesus saves. And what happened when he walked in with that T-shirt on? The mall cops came and found him and said, you either take the shirt off or you get out. That's in America. That's not in, in Iran. That's not in North Korea. That's not in Russia. In America, he was told, take the shirt off or get out. Now, if he would have walked into that mall wearing a shirt that said Marilyn Manson rocks, no problem. If he would have walked in there, you know, with some shirt that had like, you know, you know, Satan rules, like no big deal, not a problem. But the minute that he wore a shirt that said Jesus saves, you see, that's offensive and that's challenging and that we can't have that. Why? Because this message changes things and people don't like it. Don't be afraid when your community is attacking you and opposing you for the ministry that you're doing. Don't make it, you know, don't get nervous and worried about when, when people don't like what you're doing in ministry because you're doing it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about that stuff. Because we are building walls and the world is going to hate the work that we're doing. But all that's happening is that they're doing exactly what Satan wants them to do. 
The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, the Satan, the, the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's what he's doing to our culture. Man, he's stealing and killing and destroying our kids. I can't tell you, just like in the last couple of years, how many funerals that I preached of young people who've died because of drug addiction and overdoses. And I'm sure that in this community, in this area, you've seen the same kind of thing of lives that are being torn apart because of of this way that Satan kind of slithers in and he steals and kills and destroys. Man, yeah, the world hates it, but all they're doing is exactly what Satan wants them to do. And so you recognize that if the world is only doing exactly what Satan wants them to do, then the only way to counter that is for us to do, as Nathan talked about a few moments ago, for us to do exactly what God has called us to do. Because John 10.10 10 is a beautiful picture, right? The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan's job is, and he does really a good job at that. Uh, understand this. The rest of that verse says, but I, Jesus speaking, I have come that they might have what? Life and have it more abundantly. So in other words, the only way to stop the world from doing what Satan wants it to do is for the church to do what God wants it to do. What's that? Preach the gospel. Man, we're building walls. And that's what we are focused on doing. But the only way that we're going to build the kind of walls that are necessary in today's culture, in today's time, is that we need to recognize that we need a reboot in the local church. Like a reboot, like a computer. Like how many of you ever had a computer that you've been using, like it just, you know, gets to the point where it freezes up and it's not doing what you want, right? And man, it just, it's not doing anything. And so there's this really cool thing that, that, that the computer technology people created. It's called Control-Alt-Delete. How many like Control-Alt-Delete? Anybody ever use Control-Alt-Delete, right? Like it's just like you, you hit those three buttons together and the thing just, you know, shuts down and it comes back up and all of a sudden everything's back to normal and back working. The church needs to do that. The church needs to come back to that control-alt-delete moment in our own ministry to recognize, like, like, we have to figure this thing out, and we have to do it now, because time's short. Like, man, when you read the Scriptures, and the Scriptures talk about the end days, like it's almost like a movie trailer for 2023. In fact, it was a movie trailer for 2020. We're still, we're the three years bonus here, right? Like, like, like we, we get it. Like, we're the sequel here. This doesn't make sense. Like, this is the end days all over the place. Time is short. And so the church needs a reboot. And how do we do that? Well, we have to recognize that, man, you can never program your way to change the world. In ministry, man, we try to figure out all the different things that we can do. Man, if we only had this program or that program. Man, if we start this, get somebody to volunteer here and serve here. And, you know, if we open it up and, and do this kind of event or this kind of activity. And we, we program our way to the place where we think, like, we're really making a difference in all that we've really done is we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of money to do something where we might be really successful in a program but have not made an impact in the world at all. You can't program your way to change the world. You can't preach your way to change the world. I don't care how great a communicator you are. You can't preach your way to change the world. You have to recognize and understand the only thing that we can do is we have to pray to change our world. When you go back into this passage, in this story that we read a moment ago from Nehemiah, when he was facing the opposition from the outside and the opposition from the inside, when the challenges seemed to be so overwhelming that I don't know what to do, here's what he did. It's really cool. It's actually there in the, in the passage we read a moment ago. And, and in verse 4, it just simply says this, Hear us, our God, for we're being mocked. 
Hear us, our God, for we're being attacked. Here's what he recognized, that when nothing is left and nothing is working and when I don't know what to do, the best next thing is to simply get on your knees before God and cry out to him and pray. My dad used to say this, nothing of eternal significance is ever accomplished apart from prayer. Man, you can have great programs, you can have great buildings and great facilities you can have big budgets you can have a great staff you can have lots of people in the room but man when it comes right down to it if you want to make an eternal significance it's not done through programs and it's not done through budgets and it's not done through facilities it is done through the power of prayer and we the church of jesus christ need to get back to that posture of prayer get back to that place where we recognize man when everything else has failed god hasn't And understanding that just as Nehemiah did, and just as the people of Jerusalem did, they saw the rubble that was everywhere. I quoted that passage a moment ago. The people said, man, there's rubbish everywhere. It's too much. Here's what I want you to know. Your church, I don't care what church it is. I don't care whether it's a new church or an old church. Here's what I know. Your church is full of rubble. It's full of things that have fallen down. Walls that have been destroyed. It's full of rubble because it's full of people. And if it's full of people, it's full of sin. And if it's full of people and full of sin, it's full of, of, of disheartened and frustrated and discouraged people. It's full of, of challenges and problems and heartache. And, and, and our church is absolutely, they are absolutely full of rubble. And that's okay. Because isn't that really what the church is supposed to be? When you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't go hang out with everybody who had it all together. He even said it himself, hey, the doctor doesn't come for the well. He comes for the sick. So yes, our churches are full of rubble, but here's what we need to recognize. You can either let the rubble wear you down or you can let the rubble motivate you to the next level. You can let the rubble get you discouraged or you can let that rubble push you to go to the places in ministry that you've never gone before. Of trusting God in a way that you never have been able to before. Of having a prayer life that you've never experienced before. And that's what we need to allow the rubble to do. But ultimately what we must do if we're going to let this be a reality in our churches is we have to do what Nehemiah did. In the passage that we just read a moment ago, it says that when he saw the situation, when he recognized all that was happening, he called together the nobles and he called together the rest of the people. He got them all in a room, so to speak, and he got them all there together. And here's what he said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of the attacks. Don't be afraid of the opposition. Don't be afraid of the way people are coming after you. Don't be afraid of being mocked. Don't be afraid of, uh, of the work that has yet to be done. Don't be afraid of the rubble that is all around you. Because our God, our God, our God is great and he is glorious. And that declaration of the greatness of God and the glory of God and the holiness of God and the power of God through the presence of God is not only present in Nehemiah's day 2,500 years ago, it is present in the church of Jesus Christ today. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made it very clear, I will build my church. He didn't say I might. He didn't say if you're lucky. He didn't say if I have time. He didn't say if you do everything right. He didn't say if you're a good enough preacher. He didn't say if you have hey, you build a good enough building. He didn't say if you have enough people. He didn't say if your budget reaches a certain level. 
He didn't say if your Awana program is knocking it out of the park. He didn't say if you've got the best potluck dinners in town. Here's what he said. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The greatness and the glory of our God that was here 2,500 years ago is here today. And the only thing stopping God from doing what God wants to do and is capable of doing is us. Because we have gotten discouraged and frustrated by the rubble. Man, stop worrying about the rubble. God has called us to the rubble. Don't worry about all the things that you've got to deal with. God has called us to the challenge of the day. Don't worry about the, the problems that people bring to the church and tell you about in their families. God has called you to the brokenness. Don't worry about the, the mocking from the outside and the opposition from the world. God has called us to stand up and to boldly proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him Period. And when we understand that, and when we embrace that call, then we will truly see what it means. Don't be afraid. One thing I know about fear, fear is the great momentum killer in the church. Fear will keep you from being inspiring. Fear will keep you from being creative. Fear will keep you from being impactful. Fear will keep you from being influential. Fear will keep you from being effective. And so the only way that we can defeat fear is for us to run to the one who has already defeated the creator of fear. And that is on our knees before a great and a holy and a glorious God and say, God, hear us, our God, because we got a lot of work to do. The world and the church are full of rubble. And isn't it awesome that God has called us to this. Let's pray. God, thank you for the work that you've called us to do. Again, I don't understand why you have, because you could have come up with a much better plan than using us. But you've called us, and God, we're grateful for it, that you allow us to be a part of your grand plan. And so we gather together here, ministers all, and we simply say, God, hear us. We're being mocked and we're being attacked. The opposition is great and the rubble is everywhere. But God, today we declare we are not afraid because our God is great and glorious and victory is in the hand of our God. Thank you, God, that you let us be a part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope today that you're encouraged, not just simply by words that Nathan has shared or that I've shared, through the words that certainly you'll hear from in all the different breakouts in a few moments and from the different speakers this afternoon. You're going to hear from Dave Early and Matt Wilmington that I know are going to encourage you and inspire you as well. I pray that today what you're encouraged most by is the fact that we get to do this together. Like there's not a one of us in this room that are alone. Like every one of us in this room recognize like, like we're on the same mission. Like you know there's no competition in the body of Christ, right? Like in fact, if there's competition between you and other churches, you probably ought to get your heart right because that's sin. It's a victory when another church down the street gets bigger than you are. It's a victory when a church down the street has more salvations than you do. That, that's awesome. Man, because why? Because God never called us to build a big church. He called, called us to build a big kingdom, right? Like we're all in this together. 
And, and I can tell you, like, that's why I hope today you're encouraged through the opportunity we have to gather and to talk and to speak and, and to meet one another and to, you know, to help one another and to build fellowship and to build relationship and, and to build mentorship and, and to build partnership. And that's what Liberty Church Network is all about. So that literally every month all around this country, there are pastors that are coming together and they're sitting down and they're encouraging one another. And as you heard Nathan talk, praying for one another. How cool is that? I just think that when pastors in a city, in a community are praying with and praying for one another, like God's about to do something big in that community. And so we want to come alongside you, not only through Liberty Church Network, but also through a a thing that's near and dear to my heart, and that is through a school that my dad started back in 1971 called Liberty University. We have 150,000 students around the world right now in all of our different programs. And from day one until this day today, our mission has always been to train champions for Christ. Not just to have good education, that's awesome. Not just to have a great football team, which we do. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. But it's to make sure that no matter what these students do in their lives, no matter what career path they choose, that they choose to go out to be excellent in what they do, but to more importantly, to be passionate about their walk with Christ and to change the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so just for a couple of minutes before Nathan comes up or Ken comes up or somebody comes up, Luke, I don't know, somebody's going to come up and tell you about all the different breakouts that we have today to kind of, again, be encouraged. I've asked Troy Temple, who is the dean of our School of Divinity, uh, to come today and just to give you a quick like a couple of minute synopsis of like how liberty can come alongside you and to help you in your ministry and to help you in your church to partner with you not only through education but through sending students to you when they graduate and internships and all those kinds of things of how we can serve you to train champions for christ to change the world so let's welcome troy temple wow what a morning one of the things I share with our students uh, at Liberty and the School of Divinity is that we must be people of the book. Uh, we have people from various backgrounds, probably denominational in the area. We have people with different lived experiences in their walk with Christ that bring up certain situations. The thing that unifies us in that process as far as knowing what to do is what you heard this morning from John chapter 2 and Nehemiah chapter 4. We've got to be people of the book, and that is a priority for us. Uh, there at Liberty and in the Rawlings School of Divinity. It's a privilege once again to be here. Uh, this is not Pittsburgh. I know there's Pittsburgh fans, but we're, we're far enough outside Pittsburgh that, man, this is Finleyville. I mean, somebody needs to celebrate Finleyville. Come on. This is a special place right here, man. All around these towns, man. Uh, James, are you in here, Crobot? Where are you at? Right there. James just came back. He's doing his master's degree, and he just came back with uh, our team we had a bunch of students, uh, mostly students who are online students, uh, so they're all in the same, pretty much the same, a similar age demographic as most of us in here. And we spent 10 days on our Israel trip with them, and, and he was part of that trip. We sat down at uh, dinner one night, and we're sharing a little bit, and found out he lives in Bridgeville, and, uh, or serves at a church in Bridgeville, Calvary, right, uh, over there. And so I said, hey, why don't you jump on in? And I, she said, well, how much is it? I said, it's nothing. Uh, we, we come to be an encouragement. It's our mission to do that. And that's exactly what, as Pastor Jonathan just said, that's, that's what liberty is, is, is designed to do. That's the vision we've been given. Specifically in the Rawlings School of Divinity, where I get the privilege to lead an incredible team of faculty and staff that, that are surrounding our students to do something really special. And it, and it emanates also from the book. It comes from Ezra 7. 
uh, verses 9 and 10. It's the end of verse 9 and, and all of verse 10, but it focuses on these four key biblical values that we love. In verse 10, it says that Ezra determined in his heart, so your heart has to be right. What do you love? Who do you love? We're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to love his mission and people that he puts in our, in our, in our paths. But also, Ezra was admonished to not just to be determined in his heart, but it was determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord. So we focus on learn. Love, learn. We want to learn about God's people, God's mission, God's world, and be able to, to allow that to propel our mission. But then Ezra also was, was commissioned and experienced not only his commitment to, his, to have his heart right and to have his mind right on God's word, but there's, a, there's three little words in most English translations that I think are the secret sauce to, to what really is, is, makes the mission work. We love, we learn, but then it said Ezra had determined in his heart to study and to do it. To do it. That's obedience. We love, we learn, we live it out. And those are the values we press in our students before we get to the final one, which Ezra was able then in that passage to then teach all of its statutes to all of Israel and ordinances in all of Israel. That's leadership. Leadership is how we, how we demonstrate faithfulness to the mission. You may, not, you may believe this, but if we're going to truly be followers, we're going to take what's been poured into us from John chapter 2, Nehemiah 4, coming from God's word, and we're going to be faithful doers and then have the opportunity to lead. So many times we want to jump to the leadership part. We want to grab a mic, stand on stage. We want to get our name on the, on the list of small groups or Sunday schools or Bible studies or whatever it is. And we want to jump right to that. But the effectiveness has to first go through your heart, having your mind on his word, and then you live it out. The power of the message is demonstrated when it's seen by others being lived out. That's what Jesus said to, the, to his disciples. He said, when you do that, they will see your good works and give glory to you. That's not what he said. They will see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. And that is our chief end, so that he gets glory. Because when he is lifted up, he will draw all people unto him. And so at the School of Divinity, we focus on that in every single class, and uh, both residentially and online. And God has continued to bless Liberty University and the School of Divinity. Uh, the last two years, we had two of the highest incoming freshman classes. And right now, we're on target to, to exceed both of our previous two years in fall of 23. It is a blessing. People say, how do you, how do you navigate that? What, what's the secret? You just heard it. You just heard Pastor Jonathan give the testimony and, and, and relay to you what our founder and the vision that God had put on his heart and he was so committed to. But his commitment before all of the people that came in place to carry out the process, his commitment was to prayer, to be who he was supposed to be on his knees before God. There are some of us in this room that had the opportunity to watch that life being lived in that way, and I was privileged to be just one of those people who got to watch that being demonstrated. Nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. And we're watching that in our lives, and I know you're watching it in your lives. You may not have recognized it, but it's happening all around us. It's happening all around this region. This is why we have uh, a couple hundred people here today, because it's happening all around this region. And so we're excited. School of Divinity, though, exists. Our mission is you. We do things on campus, and we train, but we exist to come alongside the local church in its quest to fulfill the Great Commission. To that end, Scott 
Scott is out back. Uh, I think he's talking to somebody right now, but he's out back with a table with some information. You're welcome to, to check out that information, maybe to take with you and look at later to see what kind of opportunities you may have to finish. I've already introduced James. He's right back here, and he's doing his degree. He's online. He's right here in this community serving, and he's, and he's finishing his degree online. There are those opportunities. We have opportunities. If you have uh, the, the, the desire just to just to hone in on your knowledge of God's Word or maybe some theological issues. We also have some non-credit courses that are opportunities for just a, for, for little to no money, depending on who you know. And, and if you email me, then you know the right person. So, and my email address is on the website. So if you say I was there, I'd love to take some of those non-credits and just can you connect me. I'm happy. That's my job. I'm happy to do that. And I would love to connect you and then have, I've already had one conversation, somebody, about a friend who wants to finish and go on to Ph.D. work. And so we run the whole spectrum. Um, those numbers after your name is not what we present to the king when we get to heaven. He doesn't say, say well done, now good and faithful, credentialed servant, right? Because we serve under one banner, under one name. But those tools and that knowledge that we get to receive and then allow that to be what we use to be more faithful in our service to him can be invaluable during these days here on this planet among the rubble that we've been privileged to steward and to serve. So one card that's out there, I would say, and I think there's, a, there's, not, there's not a QR. Yeah, the QR code pops up. That goes right to our School of Divinity page. You're welcome to take your phone out and uh, snap that. Uh, it, that's actually a, a – I said that wrong. Where's uh, – where, where are my cultural icon, you know, experts? I probably shouldn't have said snap that because I don't know everybody's going to use. That's a Snapchat reference. So you can take a photo of that. and uh, It'll take you to our, our Divinity website and get more information. Uh, under our About section, you'll find uh, how to contact and find email information for, for me and our full faculty. But then there's a little white card out there. And on the back of that, there are two other QR codes. Uh, one is specific towards um, a, a scholarship opportunity and maybe a couple of them that may be valuable to you. The one I want to highlight is called our, our, our Rawlings loan, Ministry Loan for, uh, Repayment P- Program. And what that does is if you have a young person or if you're thinking you're young in heart uh, and you want to be, it's just for residential students and you say, we're wanting to send, we've got several, and you say, but we were trying to pay for it. They can apply for this program every year. Uh, applications are open until May 1st. Every year we select a group of students who are coming to study for ministry, and if they serve in full-time local church ministry for five years after graduation, then up to $30,000 of their federally funded student loans will be covered due to the generous donation of one of our benefactors who's committed to this. And uh, it pays every year for five years up to $6,000 of their federally funded loans with a total amount max of being $30,000. The reason I said 30 and, and what I love that we found that number is the average student leaves Liberty with about $32,000 worth of debt. Now, for those that are going into higher paying professions, it's not necessarily easy to pay it off, but they may do it more quickly. But for those of us that share the burden of the local church and ministry, we go into ministry with 32000 or more dollars worth of debt, and it, it's, a, it's a big shoulder, it's a big weight to bear. 
uh, as we enter ministry. So we wanted to be able to help with that. And one of our donors said, absolutely, I want to give life to that and make more opportunity for students to be there. So that's another one. You can find that card on the table back there. There's also an iPad, and you can talk to Scott. And if you have other questions about visiting campus, for those other churches in here, we'd love to have you on campus. We have two great opportunities, one in February and one in April for what we call College for a Weekend. We'd love to talk to you about that, too, and Scott can share more about that. We love you. And God is continuing to bring the body of Christ and those who are called to serve him, both in ministry but in every vocation. And we see students arriving at Liberty, both online and on campus, every semester. And they know God is doing something with them, some in full-time ministry, some for the areas of profession outside the local church and, uh, and missions and Christian organizations. Because God has called us to change the world. And champions for Christ are people who champion Christ. And we want our students to champion Christ in every walk of life, to surrender their vocation to the glory of God. And so we want to help you, help us, help everyone that wants to do that in any way that we can. So we're grateful for your time here today. I'm going to turn it over to Luke, and uh, we're going to get some transition notes and encouragement here. Thanks so much, Troy. If I could have all my breakout speakers on stage real quick. This is the game show they didn't plan for. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but guys, can we thank Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Nathan for bringing the word this morning? We're thankful what God is doing. So, so what I ask you, what I ask these guys to do is give a quick, you know, 30 seconds on their breakout, so you can put a, a title with a face. And uh, when you guys came in, you should have received one of these little half sheets that has a name and a face and a, and a title of their breakout. Um, you can see signs as you leave, and, and I'll quick give a rundown of those signs. But uh, what I want to do is just kind of move down the line. So, Troy, come on up. So, Troy, so talk to me about your breakout, and then uh, why should I come to your breakout? No, that's good. That's good. That's good. You know, I, I know you've heard this. i got 30 seconds, and I just spent, spent six of them. We've talked a lot about discipleship because it's the main thing. It's what we've been commissioned to do. So in our session, uh, if you want to come, I really want to talk to you about that priority, but give you some simple handles for how we then execute that in the church as a whole. So we want to be found faithful for the one thing that God's told us to do. Uh, same thing, but I'm going to be doing that with students. It's going to be a, a highly practical uh, conversation we're going to have with children about children's ministry, student ministry, and how do you help people take next steps in their walk with God and their faith, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey, and helping people go from new believers all the way to mature believers, and how does that work, and how to build a plan for that. Well, and mine is from the perspective of worship, just practical application for how you lead worship within the context of your community, who you have at your fingertips who can help you lead your team, building good ones, you know, getting rid of bad ones, <laughs> things like that. So uh, we're going to talk about worship leading. <laughs> We all agree that Jesus is our model for life and ministry. He is our model for disciple-making ministry. We're going to take a look at his life. Uh, how was he healthy to make a healthy disciple-making ministry? There's a lot of pastors and leaders that are experiencing unhealth. So we're going to look at Jesus, his spiritual health, emotional health, relational health, physical health, vocational health, and financial health. And how can we imitate Jesus that way? Great. Uh, so in 2008, started a church. I'd never made a disciple in my life. Over the last several years, I feel like I've learned a little bit more about disciple making. What I want to do is talk about a pathway, a pipeline, a process. If you're a pastor and you say, I don't know how to make disciples or a lay person, I don't know how to do it. 
uh, want to help with maybe some terminology uh, and make it practical. There's also going to be a cohort that we're going to offer for pastors uh, who may not have a process in their church for making disciples. We want to come alongside you and help you make disciples. Great. Thank you guys so much. So listen, so Troy is going to be in room 207. So as you leave to my left, to your right, you're going to go out through the auditorium, go down the hallway, and he's going to be over here. So he's actually on the other side of this room down that hall. And then uh, Charles is going to be right here in the auditorium. And then Derek is going to be upstairs in the activate room. So when you head up the gym, head to the gym, which is the building next door, uh, you're going to go up to the left of the hallway. And there'll be leaders over there kind of pointing in the right direction. Uh, but he's going to be in the activate room. Jason's going to be the room across the hall from Derek. And he's going to be in Route 56 room. Joel Zabarowski is going to be right below. So as you head out the auditorium, you're going to go towards the front doors and then hang a right and down the hallway or down the stairs to the canopy room. But we're going to start those breakouts at 11. So you guys got about 13 minutes to grab a snack. We thank the team prepared all the food and got everything ready. By setting that up. So please greet one another, grab a snack, and then head to your breakout. If you want one of these when you guys lead, there'll be leaders there to have those for you.
Hey guys, welcome as you come in. I want to make sure you're in the right spot. We'll be having Charles come up and.